The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. And I, I, I would not have done the book without the, the audio tapes because the book came out shortly after The Perfect Storm, which also took place in Massachusetts. But the big difference was The Perfect Storm. Sebastian Younger needed to do a lot of speculation because there was no radio communication with the Andrea Gale. Interesting. But in 10 Hours Until Dawn, I could just flick the switch on my old-fashioned tape recorder and go hour by hour through this. Wow. So the first thing I did was I typed up all 10 hours of radio transmissions so I could oh look at it that way. And yeah. and really, and that became the outline for the book. I just had to follow it in chronological order and then fill in the backstories of who these characters were, who else was involved that was not on the radio. And uh, at some points, the the audio transmissions make your hair stand on end because you're you're hearing the mayday or you're hearing the last words of a certain group of men and um, yeah it, it kept me up many nights greetings scribes welcome back to a more somber writer files. I am your host, Kelton Reed, sending you positive vibes and thoughts and well wishes from this side of the mic. And this is an interview recorded prior to the frightening events of late and the pandemic of 2020. So please keep that in mind. This week, the New York Times bestselling creative nonfiction author, Michael Togias, joined me to talk about how he translated his success in the true survival genre for younger audiences his unique research processes, and how he captures the heroism and humanity of people on life-saving missions during maritime disasters. Michael's written or co-written 29 books in a multitude of genres, including history and humor, but found the most success with his popular true survival creative nonfiction. He's the author of the best-selling The Finest Hours, now a motion picture from Disney, starring Chris Pine and Casey Affleck, at 10 Hours Until Dawn, named an editor's choice and praised by Booklist as the best story of peril at sea since The Perfect Storm. With his latest True Rescue series, adapted from his popular Disaster at Sea tales for YA and middle grade audiences, Togaius is now on a mission to ignite the reading passion that he had 
as a student and young adults. His most recent is Into the Blizzard, Heroism at Sea During the Great Blizzard of 1978, an adaptation of Togias' adult book, 10 Hours Until Dawn, called a blockbuster account of the tragedy at sea. The Amazon Best Book of the Month was described by Kirkus as a riveting book that reads like a thriller, suspenseful and ultimately tragic. In this file, Michael and I discussed how he was a late bloomer who dreamt of a full-time writing career, why he recommends public speaking for any author or aspiring writer, the intense and sometimes heartbreaking research that goes into his true survival and rescue stories, why he likes to always have two projects going at once, his take on writer's block, persistence, and why you can't edit a blank page, and much more. Stay well. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Also, The Writer Files is now available on Alexa because Apple Podcasts are available on Alexa-enabled Amazon devices in the United States. Now all you have to do is say, Alexa, play The Writer Files on Apple Podcasts and she'll probably grant your wish. Stay tuned. And we are rolling today on The Writer Files. I am honored to be joined today by our special guest, New York Times bestselling author, Michael Togayas. And um, hoping I pronounced that correctly. Thanks for hopping on here today. You did. Hi, Calvin. <laughs> Fantastic. We did practice that um, before we started rolling here. So uh, yeah, we are honored to have you on today to talk about all things writing and um, your storied career as a uh, as an author, you know, as I look at all the things that you've done, and obviously you've written true survival as well as history, humor, uh, inspiration, and now you are uh, kind of in, firmly in the young adult, and um, we calling it middle reader or middle grade uh, genre. Correct. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said a mouthful, but uh, fantastic. So, so um, yeah, I mean, as I look back at some of these fantastic true survival stories that you've written, do you associate with like the creative nonfiction at kind of earlier in your career? Was that, was that the genre? That was the genre that kind of put me on the map. The, the first book I did of that nature was titled 10 Hours Until Dawn. Yeah. about a, a sea rescue who gone bad during the great blizzard of 1978 off the coast of New England. Right. And I had done some history books before that and a couple outdoor books, but that book really took off. And so that led my agent and I to, to focus on those types of books for the next uh, few years early in my career. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, well, the career is um, impressive and, and intimidating to look at. And, you know, you've written or co-written now, I think, 29 books. Um, you know, you've been on the New York Times bestseller list. You've had a book turned into a, a fantastic movie. Um, but go back a little bit, turn the clock back, as we often do, to kind of early on in your career. You know, when when did you have that kind of aha moment when you decided that, 
you wanted to to pursue writing as a, a full-time uh, career for yourself? I was a late bloomer in many respects. It wasn't until I was 30 that I really started writing seriously and and began with magazine articles, usually outdoors, a lot of fishing articles. I'm a big-time flag fisherman and uh, striped bass fisherman. And that led to a couple books, but all this time I was still holding down a a job with an insurance company, uh, underwriting workers' comp and general liability, very different than the creative process of writing. A little bit. And, uh, you know, dreamed of becoming a writer full time, but, you know, couldn't see that happening anytime soon with with two growing kids and approaching the college years. Yeah. But uh, I really stuck at it and stopped watching television. That was one of my secrets for hmm. finding the time to write because I didn't want to not uh, be with my two children as they grew up. So I found what can I give up? And it was television. And that's what I did. So on weekends and some weeknights, I'd, I'd plug away with the, with the writing. Yeah. So you had, you had this great breakthrough and have since, you know, had a string of successes and, um, you know, these true rescue stories seem to be, as you put it, as, as you noted, they, they kind of put you on the map, um, yeah. inc- including a storm too soon, the finest hours, which was a bestseller and, and also adapted into that Disney film, which is probably mm-hmm. on, on Disney plus now I'm imagining. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, overboard fatal forecast. And, um, you know, as you said, the latest, and as you're kind of now transitioning into young adult and and middle reader, you've got a essentially a, a tell us about the how you then adapt one of your more popular books into um, a book for uh, that age. I was uh, very lucky, Kelton, to work with uh, Christy Ottaviano at Holt. And the, the first book we did was The Finest Hours. And she said, you seem to have a knack for this. Some, some authors, they never can really make that transition to that, you know, target age group of nine to 14. And, you know, I think the reason I was able to do it relatively easily was because I was a voracious reader even at that age. I was always taking books out of the library for pleasure reading during the summer. And and the topics back then were these true survival, true adventure books, just like I I write now. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't hard for me to put myself back in that that kid mode. And I'd look at the page in front of me of the adult book, and I'd think, well, that can go. This can be shortened. This could be better explained for a nine-year-old who may not know his or her way around a boat. And it it works so well, she said, why don't we keep doing this with your your true survival stories and we'll we'll start a series. We'll call it the True Rescue Series. Yeah. And um, it's really been a great match. I enjoy working with her. Um, people think people think it's easy because they think, oh, you're just taking the adult book and shortening it up, but it's <laughs> 
it's really how you shorten it up. Um, you know, you may take three or four words out of an individual sentence, but if you remove one or two key words, later in the book, the reader's gonna go, wait a minute, I'm confused. And it's all because you removed the wrong word early mm. on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this part of this series now, this Young Reader's Adaptations of, of your fantastic writing, is uh, Into the Blizzard, Heroism at Sea During the Great Blizzard of 1978. And uh, it is a riveting true account of a rescue at sea from the author of The Finest Hours. So that's really cool. And so you get to kind of reach a uh, new audience, but also, yeah, there's something of value to that. And, and as you said, you know, probably takes you back to your own youth and, and kind of the, the writing that you liked. And of course, yeah, talk a little bit about your passion just for, you know, because some of these, obviously, um, you know, you, you have focused quite a bit on these, you know, rescue rescues at sea. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about um, these true rescue stories and, and how you were influenced early on, maybe in your own career and why, why you picked that particular, uh, milieu. Well, th those were the kind of books I enjoyed reading myself. And then growing up, I was, I was a calculated risk taker and was in a couple close calls, uh, myself, which I'm actually, I have a, a book coming out called The Waters Between Us. And it's a book about those early years, the teenage years going into the early 20s with some of those stories. And the, the Waters Between Us is about my dad and I, how different we were until a, a family tragedy brought us together. But um, I, I was always interested with how the most amazing survivors do it. How, why do they beat all odds? when others cannot. So I found interviewing these people was absolutely fantastic. I just mm. enjoyed the process. And I found interviewing the rescuers wasn't all that different because they're putting themselves in harm's way, you know, whether it's a rescue swimmer or a helicopter pilot for the Coast Guard. Uh, they're in that dicey situation as well where they've got to get every decision just right. So again, it, so it kind of came natural to me because of my interest in it, a couple of my own close calls and um, the reading I did as a kid to bring me back. There, I, I speak all over the country at libraries and I do slide presentations about these topics. And I just spoke at uh, Coast Guard Air Station Miami. Hmm. And this this is kind of a funny story. I'm, I'm done speaking and I'm doing the book signing and I, a rescue swimmer comes up and he goes, I just wanted to say hello because I read a storm too soon when I was 14 and that's why I'm a rescue swimmer. <laughs> and, mm. and my, my first words were, well, thank you. And my second words were, man, do I feel old? <laughs> if you were 14 <laughs> when you read it, I, I felt like I just wrote that book, uh. but time has a way of creeping up on you. Um, but it was really nice to hear that, that that is why he chose that particular career. Wow. Yeah, that's got to be that's got to be inspirational for you as well. Yes. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow. A DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing and trying again. 
Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah. So you lecture across the country about topics from your books and, and, um, you do leadership uh, programs, and, and that's cool to see. Also, that um, you get to connect with connect with uh, readers and and also fans of your work who have gone into the gone into that field because of your work. I find um, you know, with a general public, I'll do a slide presentation and narrate some of the research behind the scenes as I'm putting them in the action of the story and that that works well. I've never really got into the, the author readings. I figure the, the people can read the books themselves. But if I'm doing, say, a business group, I may change that presentation. For example, if it's on the, the finest hours, which was the Coast Guard's greatest rescue, if it's a, if it's a business group. For example, I just spoke to the Gulf Coast CEOs. I changed the lecture and I made it leadership lessons from the finest hours. Hmm. How how did they pull off the greatest small boat rescue in history? Yeah. In terms of the the decisions made, so I'll tweak it a little bit for a for a business group or an association, and it'll be different than the general public. And I find it's a great way to get feedback from readers, uh, good and bad. And also every now and then somebody will pull me aside and say, I have a story for you. And nine out of 10 times, I'll say, thank you. That's a great magazine article, but I don't think it could sustain a book. But one gentleman had quite a story and that became the book Overboard uh, because it just had so many twists and turns and surprises that it could definitely sustain an entire book. So, you know, the the speaking has a, a lot of benefits. Yeah. I would encourage any any author or budding writer to try and get out there and speak on the, the topic that their passion is focused on. 
That's cool to hear. Um, right. And you get out there and you mix, mix it up and, 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 uh, so, you know, alternately, as, as you said, find inspiration and, in, in not only in the, just getting out there and, and speaking, but also with sharing stories and sharing ideas and, Exactly. It's fun going into schools as well. I'll go into schools and there'll be an auditorium full of kids and um, uh, they, they ask some great questions. And sometimes the younger ones have some great comments. Uh, I recently did a program on King Philip's Indian War. That was the first war in America. Mm-hmm. And it occurred in 1675. And a little girl said, I have a question. I said, yes, what's that? And she said, weren't you afraid? as if right. I was alive in 1675. <laughs> and she, she's thinking, you know, how else could he have written this story? He must have been there. Yeah. Uh, so you, you just never know what's going to happen in a presentation. That's funny. <laughs> Weren't you scared? Weren't you scared? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I was frightened. I was. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, let's talk about Into the Blizzard and um, this adaptation of you know one of your other books obviously 10 hours till dawn which was written for adults now uh being adapted for younger readers a riveting account of a rescue at sea uh in the midst of this this blizzard of 1978 and you know i don't want to give any spoilers here but uh yeah history didn't didn't really bode well for some of those uh you know and obviously that's what some of those crews that's what makes the story, but maybe you can talk some about, um, the, the unique research processes that you Mm. used to, um, to write the original and then, you know, maybe what it was like, um, digging back into that material. Did you go back to the source material? Were you, were you getting back into transcripts and, or, um, audio or, yeah, talk a little bit about the, the, the very unique process. The, the original 10 Hours Until Dawn came, got its start from really a lucky break. I had read a little snippet in the Boston Globe from 1978 when I was researching that blizzard that said a, a, the pilot boat can do was lost in the storm. But then they gave a quote from the captain on the boat, you know, over the radio. And I said, well, how, how did the Boston Globe know what the captain said if the boat is missing? Uh-huh. And then I realized maybe somebody made a an audio recording of the Marine radio conversations. And I, I called the captain's son and uh, he said two things that surprised me. The first was, oh yeah, there's 10 hours of audio tape. Mm. That's the title of the book. And then he said, you know, what's funny. He said just last week, and this was years after 1978. He said, just last week, I went to a bookstore and said, how can I find an author who specializes in history and survival at sea because i have quite a story that involves my father he said now you're calling me out of the blue (laughs) (laughs) so that's what i kind of knew yeah i knew it was meant to be you always look for those little signs yeah and i i I would not have done the book without the the audio tapes because the book came out shortly after the perfect storm which also took place in massachusetts but the big difference was the perfect storm Sebastian Younger needed to do a lot of speculation because there was no radio communication with the Andrea Gale. Interesting. But in 10 hours until dawn, I could just flick the switch on my old fashioned tape recorder 
and go hour by hour through this. Wow. So the first thing I did was I typed up all 10 hours of radio transmissions so I could oh my. look at it that way. And, yeah. and really, and that became the outline for the book. I just had to follow it in chronological order and then fill in the backstories of who these characters were, who else was involved that was not on the radio. And uh, at some points, the, the audio transmissions make your hair stand on end because you're you're hearing the mayday or you're hearing the last words of a certain group of men. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it kept me up many nights. My, yeah. That must have been, yeah, a little bit yeah. har- harrowing to relive. But as you were writing it, yeah, I can imagine you were having some PTSD of your own uh, recreating. You could, that yeah, story. you could hear the wind in the background on the audio tape. Sometimes I couldn't quite understand what they were saying, so I'd sit with the captain's son, and together we'd listen. He said, "Okay, that's my dad. I could tell right there what he said. That's his accent." And Interesting. Then we, you know, we slowly piece those parts uh, because on the pilot boat uh, a big wave blew out their windshield that was one of their first big issues uh, wow. it, it was like a compounding of problems that uh, this particular vessel was facing but there were other boats trapped in the storm as well right 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 well yes and you have been compared to sebastian younger at least that that perfect storm yeah obviously he didn't have the the luxury that you had to to have those direct um, recordings, exactly. which is fascinating. And the fact that you manually typed those 10 hours, I can't <laughs> even imagine because today, you know, you could technically send that to like a transcription service, but you know, they probably would have struggled. Yeah, they would, they would have struggled definitely, you know, so I was lucky to have the captain's son there and you know what, I'm so old school. I think even if I got them today, I would have still listened with the earphones in and started typing away. Fascinating. Yeah. So going to turning to kind of your productivity and as you, um, obviously continue to work on, um, books, uh, for younger readers and are you also, um, working on more creative nonfiction for adults? Yes. I'll, I'll typically I'll have two projects going at, at once. And, uh, so one, say one may be back with the editor for her review, and that will free me up to work on a different project. So as I mentioned earlier, so for example, right now I'm working on the waters between, between us that'll be issued by Lions Press a year from now. Uh, so I go, I go back and back and forth a little bit. And oftentimes I don't have a, most writers who I listen to uh, be interviewed, they talk about getting up early in the morning and putting in a good five hours of work. And then in the afternoon, they might do, you know, errands and uh, odd jobs, paperwork. And um, my approach is very different. There, There is no structure <laughs> whatsoever. Hmm. Uh, I, I may go a whole month and not write a single word then I might feel the deadline approaching and really go to it hard. Oh, man. And I, yeah, and I tend to write more at night than in the morning like most writers do. Mm-hmm. So there's no, yeah, I just, I wish I had that discipline that 
they have mm-hmm. and that that great formula to put in the time and some people say 2000 words every day um i've never been able to operate that way <laughs> and, and maybe it's because of those years of juggling a daytime job with the writing yeah interesting yeah i, I i've heard this also from another best selling author Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian. Yes. And uh, of course, he worked on that book also in the margins and and said exactly the same thing, that he found that it was much easier for him to stick with that uh, later evening schedule, uh, ah. even, even though he didn't still have the day job. I think he was an engineer, if I'm not mistaken. Right. But yes. um, yeah, so so he, you know, and a lot of writers do kind of like those quieter hours when when the world is sleeping or when, you know, when people aren't as active. Um, well, I, I feel vindicated. See, Andy <laughs> Weir is, it's working for him. I'll stay with it. All right. And, uh, and the other, the other key for me is having a, a decent block of time. It would be very hard to just have one hour to get into it. Sometimes it takes a whole hour just to reread, to get in the flow of the story. Yeah. So a bigger block of time, you know, four hours, uh, would be ideal. Yeah. For, for that flow state. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you ever run up against writer's block or, uh, is it a myth? I think it's a myth. Um, I think it's you're, you're stuck, <laughs> uh, not, not because of a block you're stuck maybe because the story isn't going the way you sh- think it should. And, you know, for every book I've had published, I've got another one that's half started and sitting in the attic and I don't know if I'll ever get back to it again. You hmm. know, you just didn't have that feeling like it's going the way the way that it should. And sometimes it's it's a good idea to turn away from it and then come back at it a different year with a whole a whole different approach and mindset. Yeah. So you said you're old school. Are you actually working on a manual typewriter over there? <laughs> no, I haven't I haven't gone that old school, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just Word document and um, just, you know, don't even have a writing area, uh, one writing area in my house. Um, there's like three or four little stations mm. I'll go to uh, wherever I can find that it's it's the most quiet. And because um, oftentimes I'm listening to audio tapes of interviews for example with uh, a storm too soon that's probably my favorite book and in that story the the rescue swimmer even needs to be rescued um he he was put down in 80 foot seas to try and Mm. rescue three men that were clinging to a tattered life raft and he, he to make a long story short he was able to i won't give the story away but do partially uh, a great job with the rescue boat. When it came time to bring him up, um, he had nothing left. He mm-hmm. he had ingested so much seawater, he was literally drowning. So you can imagine what it was like for the helicopter crew hovering just above these 84 waves, trying not to be taken out by one to try yeah. and get the hook to him. And all my interviews with the Coast Guard for that particular storm too soon book were done um just letting the tape recorder run and let them talk without interruption so as i'm writing 
I'm listening to our conversation on the tape recorder again. So it's trying to find that quiet place and, and relive that uh, experience with them. That's really interesting. So talk a little bit about creativity. You know, I know you've talked about kind of, uh, you know, these signs or, or, you know, things that will point you in in a direction, but, uh, you know, do you feel like, you know, there's a creative muse that kind of drives you towards uh, a particular topic? And you've talked about, you know, you you really only want to work on projects that you're passionate about. And obviously these are passionate projects for you. Um, But what, what kind of, kind of, feeds mm-hmm. or def- defines your own uh, sense of uh, creative creative uh, direction? You know, a, a great motivator is, I'm not sure if fear is the right word, but <laughs> uh, the fear of letting someone down. So say it's a nonfiction book like 10 Hours Until Dawn. You've interviewed these people that have lost loved ones or you've interviewed somebody that's gone through a very traumatic experience, they're counting on you to tell the story right. And you you do feel that as an author, you really do feel that that pressure. And that I find that if nothing else will get the creative juices flowing to really work at it hard, do the very best job that you can, constantly put yourself in that particular character's shoes. Yeah. So, you know, because you you know that um, they're going to be the most important reviewers of your book. Did you get it right? And um, and that's really been a huge help to me, having some of those people say, you got it right. If, for example, I'm, I'm trying to go after a new story, like The Finest Hours, the, the hero of that story, his name was Bernie Weber. He's the Coast Guard's greatest hero of all time. At first, he did not want to do the book. Um, He said, I don't want to relive all that. My life was more than that one rescue. And I would say, but Bernie, this is over the phone. I'd say, Bernie, I've spent the last two years researching this. I probably know more about it than anybody. I think it will be a great book. And, And he would go, thank you, but no, I don't want to do it. And the, I think the thing that helped convince him was one, I would send him books I've done in the past and then wait a couple months and call him up and say, did you like it? He'd go, yeah. I'd go, will you work with me? And he'd go, I don't know. <laughs> and then I'd send him another book. And finally, after sending him three books and, uh, you know, hearing from the survivors he that you know, Michael was accurate, he got the story down. Bernie was willing to stick his neck out and say, let's let's do this book. Wow, and then he cool. joked, he was funny. He said, uh, he said, one, nobody's ever going to read it. And he said, two, <laughs> if they ever make a movie, I want Don Knotts to play my character. <laughs> and, but I mean, you, you know, so he's, he's thinking, he really, he had me thinking as well that, boy, this book is going to bomb, you know, a rescue 1952 off Cape Cod. You know, nobody's going to read about it. And that's the book that Disney picks for a movie. But yeah. Bernie had passed away, so he never got to see that that uh, little joke he made <laughs> came to fruition. Except he was played by Chris Pine, a lot yeah. better than looking Don Knotts. Yeah, yeah. Chris Pine and, and Casey Affleck is in that one. Yes. He's, a, he's an Academy Award uh, winner. So, yeah, I mean, great cast and, and it's really compelling. And uh, 
Yeah, it's a good old fashioned movie. They did, you know, they did justice to the book. Um, yeah, you know, they they captured these <laughs> uh, reluctant heroes, if you will. They really captured their mood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just watching the trailer, being reminded of um, these rescues at sea. It's like, oh yeah, they they nailed it. It's just like constant tension. What's gonna What's gonna break next? What's, uh, <laughs> exactly. How you know. And it's everything's on a uh, just on a timer that's that's not it's not going great. <laughs> the timer. That's a great that's a great description. The timer. Uh, yeah, it, you know, I had a nice review. I think it was the Wall Street Journal and a, a newer book called Above and Beyond about the pilots during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and they use that phrase. They said it's like a a tick tock timer in this book. You know, things are not going well. <laughs> Right. But those are the best stories. That's perfect. I said, that's great. That's just what I was hoping to get. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you have a couple, uh, a couple favorite, uh, or recent favorite books sitting on your nightstand that you want to, to mention before we wrap up here? Yeah. You know what? I've two that I've just read in the past, uh, couple of weeks were great books. One is Astoria about the the attempt to establish a, a fur trading post in the U.S. to make a presence out on the, the mouth of the Columbia River. So hmm. that's a book I highly recommend. And then a much older book by a author who I love, uh, A.B. Guthrie. He wrote um, Big Sky and other books about uh, the West and the mountain men of, of you know, the uh, early 1800s. And I'm reading one of his old books called Fair Land, Fair Land. It's, it's excellent. Interesting, interesting. Well, before we wrap up with your advice to your fellow scribes, uh, mm. I'll give you one fun one. If you could choose one author from any era for an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite restaurant in the world, um, <laughs> who, who would you take? Where would you take them? Oh, my God. That's the toughest question in the world. Wow. <laughs> Wow. We've we've set some precedents here today. <laughs> that, that is a tough one. You know, part of me wants to say Harper Lee because To Kill a Mockingbird mm, was mm. such a home run. But then, yeah. you know, I'm so wrapped up in like this book I'm reading now by A.B. Guthrie. How did he capture the voices that seem perfect for this period of the 1800s? I was thinking, funny, as you asked the question, I was thinking last night, God, I'd love to ask him how he develop that dialogue because he seems to have really go. nailed it. So yeah, there's no one person that comes to mind, maybe Harper Lee during the writing of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird or, or help in uh, with Truman Capote in, in Cold Blood. I always wondered just how much she did of that book uh, oh, yeah. uh, helping him. Amazing. I have a feeling yeah. it was more than Truman let on. Well, um, if you could have both Harper Lee and Truman, uh, where, would, where where would you take them? Just out for a martini? Yeah, a martini sounds good, and that is what I drink. So that <laughs> thank you. I didn't have to say McDonald's. Good, good guess. Uh, good guess. Yeah, no, that's that works good. There you, go. you know, I want to let your uh, listeners know that um, I do speak uh, up and down the East Coast. So if they go to my website, they'll see where I'm giving these presentations and they're yeah. free and they're open to the public. Oftentimes they're, they're at big libraries. I'm, I'm doing one 
down here. I'm in Florida right now in Stewart, Florida in March. Okay. And um, my website is just Michael and then my last name, Tagias, T-O-U-G-I-A-S dot com. Absolutely. I will link to michaeltogayas.com in the show notes. Um, you can also find Michael on Facebook and Twitter, and I'll put those links in the in the notes as well. And we'll just mention the book one more time before we uh, wrap with your with your last little uh, nuggets of wisdom for writers. And of course, uh, Into the Blizzard, Heroism at Sea During the Great Blizzard of 1978 is an adaptation of Michael's adult book, 10 Hours Until Dawn, that was originally uh, called a blockbuster account of Tragedy at Sea uh, and a book that captures the wit, grit, and sacrifice of Coasties in their boats. And of course, uh, this is a, the middle grade adaptation that we're talking about. I'll link to that. I'll link to the original. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for wrapping with us. And yeah, so if you, you know, I've just had one kind of, a uh, piece of wisdom you want to leave listeners mm-hmm. with on just how to how to keep going, how to keep the the ink flowing. What what would you tell them? Uh, a couple things. Uh, persistence would be would be a key. Um, the finest hours would have never happened if I didn't keep calling Bernie Weber, that you know the hero who was turning me down. And you know after he passed away, I asked his daughter. I said, "Why did your dad give me such a hard time?" And she said. He was testing you to see how committed you were to this idea. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ah, I'm glad I didn't give up because that book led to every author's dream of a, you know, a movie by a, a great studio. Wow. So that'd be, that'd be the one thing. But the other is I think sometimes writers, newer writers, give up too early when they look at what they've done and they go, it's, it's not very good. And, and that's okay. I, I like to say there's some days that I'm just getting words on paper and I know I'm going to have to go back and do a lot of work on it and make improvements. And, but, it, but it doesn't stop me. It, I don't ever use the excuse of writer's block. Once I sit down, even if it's not your, your A game, I'm getting those words on paper. That's a lot easier than a blank sheet of paper to go back and then improve. So th- those would be my two tips. I love that. I love that. Uh, it just reminds me of the quote, um, you can't edit a blank page or something. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. is perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today, Michael. W- was there anywhere else you wanted to point listeners? Did I get all the... I think so. They could, you know, what I'm hoping with this True Rescue series for the middle readers is that it generates some great uh, dinner conversations for the families because the the adults can read the adult version, the kids can read the kid version, and then they can have this this conversation mm, on, smart. Yeah. on the topic. And um, particularly because these are, are real people, you know, for a while there, I was thinking, I, I wonder if I'm going to be able to find a young adult publisher for these because every young adult book seems to be about vampires or superheroes <laughs> and do you know do they want these flawed characters who are brave but yeah. they don't they don't always come out on top and uh it's great to see the response to it and so i could see that generating some great dinner conversations between parents and kids of what could they have done differently did they make a mistake even 
going out into the storm, um, you know, and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. And I do appreciate your mission to ignite, uh, that reading passion that you had as a younger, young reader. And, uh, yeah, as you said, uh, I'm quoting you, I think these stories are about real flawed heroes and not the superheroes of movies that pop culture is kind of just so inundated with. Yeah. You know, I wrote, remember Hurricane Sandy in 2012. I did a book on that, uh, about the rescue of the tall ship bounty that, that went down in Hurricane Sandy. And, you know, so even with the best weather forecasting, because they, the National Weather Service had that storm perfectly predicted the path of the hurricane and everything. But this one captain on the tall ship bounty, a replica of the mutiny on the bounty ship, thought he could get around the hurricane. Hmm. And that, that was his first mistake. And there were many more, but an incredible aviation rescue where 14 out of the 16 passengers on that ship did make it out alive, um, which would have never happened without the Coast Guard going into the hurricane. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you again for your time, Michael. Of course, um, you can find all of uh, Michael's books on his website again, uh, michaeltogayas.com. I will link to that in the show notes. You can pop over there, see all of the titles. And uh, yeah, have a wonderful rest of your day and we appreciate your time. Kelton, thank you so much for a great interview. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Bye.